I'm going to begin by reading at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. <clears throat> so Philippians 1, 27, then down to chapter 2, verse 11. This is God's word. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Perhaps we just pause for prayer at that moment. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, as Kyle has prayed already, Lord, I pray again that you would use it uh, for your glory. Lord, help us to be ready to listen and to be changed and to live by your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if I were asked to ask you to pick a role model, who would you choose? A recent poll showed that 80% of people surveyed viewed NHS workers as the best role models. Not surprising after all the work they've done through the pandemic. My role models personally were a little different and I would have chosen to pick a role model. I would have said somebody like the A-team. The A-team. Now, perhaps some of you don't even know who the A-team are. They were a group of fugitive soldiers who were wrongly ac accused of a crime. But they were the good guys. Those trying to help others in need with all of their skill, while all the while trying to survive themselves. I wanted to be like them. And to use my skill to help others. But we need to be careful, though, don't we, whenever we're thinking of role models? Because even the very best role models will make mistakes and they're never ever perfect. But as we look at this part of Paul's letter to the Philippian church, we will see the one, the one that Paul encourages the believers to follow as the perfect example. And how following this example then, this faultless example will affect relationships. Following this example will affect the church, 
and communities and our individual lives as well. But this example to follow is more than that. It's more than just a good example. He, as we will see, is our saviour as well. So the Philippians needed to be reminded of it in order that they would live their lives in the right way. And that's something that we would do well to be reminded of today. But why was Paul so concerned with the church in Philippi? You know, the concern that they would be following the right example. Where did this come from? Well, we can see right through chapter 1 that the Philippians were very dear to Paul and a source of joy to him. And it was through Paul that God had established his church back in Acts 16. And even though Paul had been forced to leave Philippi, they hadn't forgotten him. They were partners with him in the gospel. They cared and supported him, even now while he writes from his prison cell in Rome. And in this letter, Paul says that he holds the people and the leaders of this church in his heart. He yearns with them. He has great affection for them. So Paul writes to them because he loves them. He wants to encourage them in their faith. So what kind of encouragement then? Is Paul giving the Philippian church? Does he encourage them to add more to the membership or to add in more programs and, and more ministries? Well, no. This letter is a personal encouragement to them for their progress in their own faith. And he does so by asking them to behave as gospel citizens. To behave as gospel citizens. He says in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And this, this is actually one of the main points of the whole letter, and it's our first point this morning, to behave as gospel citizens. Paul wants us, or we should, behave as gospel citizens. Philippi had been given the status of a Roman colony, so Philippi was actually like a, a Rome in miniature, a mini Rome, and the citizens there would have enjoyed all the benefits of the uh, benefits to the economy, tax breaks, and so forth. So this was a big deal for the people to have their identity as Roman citizens. But Paul is encouraging them to remember that even though they have this special status of Roman citizens, that they're actually citizens of another kingdom. It's like they have dual citizenship. They've got their two passports. But Paul urges them to live worthy of their heavenly citizenship. And their worthy living shouldn't depend on whether Paul is with them or not. If you think of a teacher, um, whenever he leaves the classroom and he wants his students to continue working in the way that he has taught them. But it's the behavior of the students while the teacher is away that can show the student's true motivation, can't it? So Paul is calling the Philippians to demonstrate worthy behavior as citizens of the gospel, the gospel of Christ. So what is the gospel then? What is the gospel? In simple words, as you well know, the gospel is the glorious truth that Christ died for our sins and rose to conquer death. It is this gospel good news about Jesus that the Philippians have been taught. They know it and they believe it. So what is the worthy behavior then? What is the worthy behavior of a gospel citizens? Well, Paul commands them using battle type language. He says, stand firm in one spirit and to be of one mind, striving side by side and to be without fear through opposition. 
Paul is saying that a worthy gospel citizen will hold firm to the gospel message and strive alongside other believers to spread this good news. There's also a real sense of unity in these verses as well. They are to be united together as they strive side by side for the gospel. And interestingly, in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul addresses the letter not just to the saints, but to the saints along with the overseers and deacons. He addresses the church with the leadership team as one. Again, this promotes the unity of the whole church with no one above and no one below, but together. And gospel citizens should also expect and be ready for opposition, for suffering. It goes hand in hand with belief. See, the Philippians face opposition from outside the church. There's external pressures on them. I mean, Paul himself had been beaten and imprisoned there for spreading the good news. And as Roman citizens, they would have been expected to worship the emperor. But as heavenly citizens, they worship a new emperor, the Lord Jesus. However, by being united, it will give them a greater chance of success against all enemies. Even the Roman soldiers of the day literally used the same technique in battle by being united whenever they hold their battle shields together, linked together in a united group. They were stronger together. Now, we're not Roman soldiers or even part of the Philippian church, but today we must be united as well. And Paul encourages them to stand firm in their suffering as he has himself, keeping their eyes fixed on God. But it won't be easy. It'll take effort and discipline like that of an athlete fixed on reaching the end goal. But he reminds them that even in their suffering, it's actually part of God's plan. It's showing God's sovereignty for them as gospel citizens. Are you a gospel citizen? If you are, then you need to ask yourself, and I include myself in this as well, am I behaving as a citizen of heaven? There are so many ways today that the truth of the gospel is being attacked. The world just doesn't want to hear that they have sinned against a holy God, and the world will reject the truth that there's only one way to the Father or that there even is a Father. Christians are called homophobic and old-fashioned and prejudiced. And whenever the church is attacked in these ways, then there's pressure to possibly dilute what we say or simply to say quiet and say nothing. But we need to remember the encouragement of Paul to stand firm. We must be united as we strive side by side with other believers in the faith, doing all that we can to preserve and promote the truths of the gospel. In Belturbet, the town where we live, we have what's called a men's shed. A men's shed, a place in the town where men can come to and, I don't know, build things. I think they're, they're full with, with tools and whatnot. Probably come there for other reasons as well. So we have the main shed in Belturbet. But it's not just in Belturbet. You could go to any town in Ireland, literally, and you will find a men's shed. It's the same thing, a space for the men to come and to do whatever it is they do. It's a massive, massive community across the whole country. Can you see the picture? But they're, you see, they're united 
with their common values and common purpose, this group together across the whole country. But we belong to a community. The church is what unites us, our sense of identity bound up by being together, but with a heavenly purpose, an eternal purpose. I was thinking even ourselves in Cavan as well have a unitedness together with you here. You know, even though it's us in Cavan doing the ministry, we're standing side by side for the faith of the gospel and you support us in this way. So we are united together in this way. But where has God placed you in your life? Does your unity with other gospel citizens help you to promote the gospel, perhaps in your school, your community, your workplace and family? Maybe pray this week that God would give you opportunities to strive, that he would use you this week to share the gospel. But perhaps this is terrifying or scary. Maybe there are frightening opponents in your life that make you feel isolated as a Christian. That can be difficult. But remember, remember this opposition is a sure sign of your very salvation, as we see in verse 28. Can I also encourage you today that if you are a gospel citizen, that God's power will preserve you, will keep your faith. He has saved you and will complete his good work in you. And remember, you're not on your own. Remember the citizenship that you are united with, with others, so we don't need to fear men. So Paul began by encouraging the Philippians to stand firm and to strive together, being united in the face of external pressures. Now he turns to internal pressures, and he reminds them how to live as worthy gospel citizens within the church. And he wants them to demonstrate gospel thinking. And that's my second point, is to demonstrate gospel thinking. I, I, I do love woodwork, even though I'm not a member of the Men's Shed in Belturbet. But before I would start any kind of woodworking project, I like to have a sketch of what the project should look like uh, by the time I'm finished. So that if I do, and frequently do, ever get sidetracked or distracted, I can remember what it is that my project should look like. And Paul, in these opening verses, is showing the Philippians the same thing. What they should look like. What the church should look like. God has given them so many blessings and he wants them then to respond by blessing others in the same way. From the opening verses, they've been given encouragement. So their response should be to encourage others. They've been blessed with comfort and love, so they should comfort and love others. And the same with the blessings of affection and sympathy as well. And this is what their gospel thinking church should look like. And he exhorts them to live in unity with one another by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, sharing the gospel like a sports team whenever they must work together for the win, that they are together, they have the same mind. And flowing from this unity, he calls them to a mindset of humility. He calls them to a mindset of humility. Look at verse 3. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests 
of others. I think it's helpful and probably important to understand what the Bible means by humility. It's not just thinking poorly of yourself or putting yourself down. For example, if someone says to me, Simon, oh, you did a great job of organizing that Lego club. Oh, it ran so smoothly. And I could say, oh, well, you know, you know, just maybe this wee part didn't run so well or this wasn't so good. You know, that's not humility. That's more like false humility. True humility, it's not thinking about yourself less, rather, or perhaps additionally, it's thinking of others more. As I was preparing, I came across this, um, this fact that in Paul's day, in the Roman world, humility was not seen as a virtue, as the way it is today. So in, in, the, in the Roman day, it was not seen as a virtue. To show humility even to a superior was undignified, and to show humility to a subordinate was downright shameful. So this teaching that Paul is giving of humility goes completely against the grain of the culture, and it still is. The world today is characterized by many things, and unfortunately, selfish ambition seems to be one of them, with people looking to their own interests. Jessica, our eldest daughter, a few weeks ago had to write an essay for school entitled, Why are Millennials a Self-Centered Generation? It made for very, very sad reading, in fact. But what is the key then to humility? What is the key? Look at verse 5. It says, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And I came across another study recently on humility. A study on humility to see when, in fact, it did change from a shameful act to one that is an admirable quality. And it was actually traced back to the life of Christ to Jesus himself, the ultimate um, uh, life of humility and the one that we are to have the mind of. So our gospel thinking is so radically different from the world. And this is the mind that we can all have in our churches, unified and humble. So that unbelievably, paradoxically, it shouldn't work, but it does. We can have things like the old ways alongside the new ways. The old songs and music, alongside the contemporary singing and instruments, even the clothes we wear, Bible versions that we have, long short sermons, short sermons, three points or no points. Well, hopefully they all have a point, you know what I mean. But can you see something of what it is to be a demonstration of gospel thinking and humility? All because we have the mind of Christ, the example of Christ. But of course, Paul isn't saying that we are to accept simply every wind of change and interpretation of the scripture. As long as it's not a fundamental gospel truth issue that we're humbly giving up, then it's okay to have different views. Even in church, it's normal. Remember where the real threat is. The real threat is outside. So let's stick together inside. Let's be, to use someone else's words, not mine. Let's be weird and wonderful. Weird because the world can't understand how such a diverse group of people can be united in one mind. Wonderful, of course, because we are united when we have the mind of Christ. So gospel citizens are called to be humble and to count others more worthy than ourselves. 
And surely this must be one of the most difficult things to do, to be able to say to others that your needs and your feelings and your opinions are more important than mine. How can we do this? How really can we be so humble to this extent? What could possibly motivate our behavior to this level of humility? Well, hopefully this next point should answer that question. Point three is to follow Christ's perfect example. Paul says we're to look to Jesus, the perfect example of humility, how he laid down his whole life for the sake of others. When we realize what he has done, any pride that we have will be crushed. How could we? Paul confronts the believers with some of the most beautiful theology of Jesus in the scriptures. Verses 6 to 11 are written in poetic form. Um, And here in the retelling of the story of Christ's incarnation, his life and death, resurrection and exaltation, we see the beautiful illustration of the mind of Christ. This is the high point. This, if you remember nothing else, remember this. The ultimate example and encouragement for everything Paul has said in the, in the letter so far and everything that he'll go on to say. Let me just highlight a few points and encourage you to continue to look into these verses. They are, they are amazing. See, Jesus, God the Son, author of creation, humbled himself, stepped down from glory and equality with God where he was worshipped and adored and became a human, became a servant to all. What a contrast from the first Adam who tried to grab and take equality with God, who wanted to be like God. Even today when we think of world leaders, politicians who grasp to to fight to keep their places of authority, wanting to be seen as the important and special ones, not wanting to give up their rights as leaders. But Jesus didn't. He was the complete opposite. Didn't cling tightly to his position that he held Rather, Jesus emptied himself of his status, his heavenly glory, heavenly riches, and made himself low. He did not stop being God, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a man, a servant. And he did that because our rescue from sin and death required Jesus to come all the way down to where we are, trapped in our sin. One commentator said that Jesus was not too proud to wear our skin or bear our sin. His ultimate humiliation, of course, was on the cross, where he was rejected, separated from his father as he took the full punishment for your sin and for mine. It's hard to comprehend how Jesus could do this, but amazingly, it was because he valued you and I more than himself. Can you see why Paul points us to look at Christ as the perfect example? And then would use this example to teach about humility. If God could humble himself for the sake of us, then we have no excuse not to humble ourselves for others as well. When we look to Jesus, it's clear to see why we should in return humble ourselves for the sake of others. And there are many ways that we can show humility. God gives us opportunities every day to show and to grow in this way every day especially for those of us who belong to a church community. Maybe sometimes we're tempted to think that within the church, oh, well, that job, that's, that's beneath me. I'm not helping. Or I should be doing that from the front, or this or that. Or I've been in this church longer than him or her. Why have they been asked to do that? 
If Jesus has been so humble, how can we be so proud? Look to Jesus' obedient life and his sacrificial death. Let's remember that we are to be self-giving in the way that we express our love for one another. And then take notice of your fellow Christian. Listen to the change in language that's possible. Instead of, well, that job's beneath me. Let me help you with that. Can you see the change in language that's possible? Or perhaps you'd like an opportunity at the front. Or isn't that great that such and such has had an opportunity to serve? The change in language that's possible, change in behavior that reflects Christ's example. But remember too that servanthood had a cost for the Lord and will cost us as well. He was punished for our sin and died. Perhaps it's hard to keep serving when we don't get the recognition, when we do things that's unknown and unseen for all the years of service we've given without thanks. Well, perhaps these verses today help you to look to the day when God will reward you for your faithful obedience. After the humiliation and death of Christ, we see Jesus raised to life again to his rightful place of honor. Christ was raised up and so shall we be as well. So we can be encouraged to keep going, but not to strive for recognition here on this earth. But of course, Jesus is our perfect example, but not just our perfect example to follow. He is our savior to be adored. But I wonder, is Jesus your savior today? Have you seen the wonder of what he has done for you? Have you humbly come before him in adoration? He gave up everything for you and he wants you now to humble yourself before him. Repent. Acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior. Then he will one day raise you up and give you new life with him. And those who have repented and in faith and acknowledge Jesus as their Lord, well, will bow the knee together in worship. Well, it's more than that, isn't it? Because not, it's not just everybody who will bow the knee, or not just those who have repented will bow the knee. Everybody will bow the knee. But for those who have not repented, it will be in fear and terror on the last day. But we will all acknowledge him as Lord. Jesus is the perfect example for us to follow because he is our perfect Savior and Lord. There's no one like him. So can I encourage you to take time to look at this beautiful picture of Jesus in these verses in chapter 1 and 2 like Paul urged the Philippians can I urge you today to let this affect how you behave and think and love and serve each day amen, amen, thank you hand back to Kyle